the Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Welcome to the Collective Whisper Podcast with your host, Simon Kay. Okay, today we're going to talk about something very dear to my heart and to a lot of people's heart, hearts, uh, which is dogs. So dogs are a big part of people's worlds. You know, they have been for centuries and millennia. I mean, who doesn't love dogs? Dogs are amazing. Whether you're a cat person or a dog person, I think dogs are really important. So today we're going to talk a little about them and my experience with dogs and we're going to have a special guest on the show later on and she's going to talk about her experience with her dog and losing her dog in the last few weeks so that's going to be very interesting stay tuned for that but up till then we're going to have a you know humorous look at dogs we're going to look at some interesting facts about dogs things you might not have known and you know something just to brighten up your friday or whatever day of the week you're listening to this podcast on so let's talk about dogs Okay, so for me, dogs have been a very crucial part of my life. From a very young age, uh, there have been dogs in my family and, you know, my mother has always had dogs and I always remember vividly in our house, you know, uh, my dad, you know, he didn't seem to like dogs as much, but, you know, deep down, I think he really liked them, but he would always set the ground rules for them, you know, no dogs in the house and no dogs on the chair and this kind of thing. And my mother loved dogs, you know, they were like extra children to her and she really cared for them and had a very compassionate side with them. But on the other hand, my father, as I said, was very strict with them. But when we would go away and come back, you know, unannounced to my father, we would find the dogs in the living room or in the sitting room and sometimes up on his bed, maybe, because the thing was he had a hard side to him. But dogs, I think, are everybody's soft side. I think the hardest men and women can melt with the love of a dog because we all know the love of a dog is unconditional. And, you know, once you have it, it's hard to let go of that feeling. And you will hear lots of people who will say, oh, I never understood about having a dog until I got one or I rescued one. And now I could never, ever be without dogs. You know, they're part of their world. So I always remember from a very young age, having dogs in the family and, you know, and tragically over the years, you lose dogs. And that's a very, you know, hard part of life, but a very crucial part of life because it always teaches you about, you know, death and understanding how life works and understanding that things are not here forever. So you have to hold on to them and cherish them while you have them. So I remember we had lots of different dogs. We had a dog named Dickie, which was my brother's dog, a very funny name, Dickie. But he had an accident with his tail and he couldn't put his tail down. So he was kind of like a sheepdog, but his tail was always up. And I know lots of sheepdogs put their tails up, but he could never really put it down. I think we we could push it down, but it would always kind of pop up. So he was really interesting. And unfortunately, Dickie was stolen from us or we don't know what happened. You know, lots of different rumors that someone had taken him. And unfortunately, we never saw him again. And he was a beautiful dog. 
And I always remember another dog we had was Brownie. And Brownie was my sister Caroline's dog. And she was kind of like a mixed Labrador type and brown, of course. And she was a beautiful dog, you know, and a lovely soul. And through the years, you know, there's been so many dogs. I look back at some of the pictures of the dogs my mother had before I was born, even. And there was a boxer dog there. It was all types of dogs. And, you know, eventually when these dogs go, you know, they die or they're killed by a car or something like that, they would be buried. And I know where my mother lives now, <laughs> we always make the joke, it's like pet cemetery down the back because there are, you know, numerous dogs buried down there. Even when I started owning dogs, uh, one or two of my dogs who died over the years, I buried them there. And... Um, I know there's another piece of land near my in my family land where my sister has buried her dogs. So it's it's really interesting this idea of the pet cemetery and people like to keep these dogs close to them. And I think I know in Ireland it's really interesting because you know I, I, as far as I know you can still bury the dog on your land. But for example, I live here in Spain, and in Spain you can't. In Spain the dog has to be cremated and. You can choose to, you know, collect the ashes or you can choose, to, you know, to to not collect them and just, you know, they're they're scattered or whatever. But the thing is, yeah, you're not allowed here. You can't go out in your back garden and bury the dog. I'm sure some people have done it, but, but you can't do it legally. Um, it's against the law. And that kind of, I think, goes with the general idea of cremation with humans in Spain, because lots of people choose cremation after they, they die and, you know, there are crypts and, you know, tombs for urns and ashes. So I think the scattering of the dog's ashes and these kind of things here is more widely accepted, maybe, if the dog is, you know, very loved or this kind of thing. So it's quite interesting in different countries and different cultures what you're allowed to do with the remains of your dog, you know. So over the years, I've had lots of dogs, I said myself, even when... When I moved out of my home, you know, we had dogs and, you know, there was always, I remember I lived on the, the Galway, you know, the Tume Galway Road or the Galway Tume Road, the, the famous N17, the N17 song by the Thought Actress. I lived on that road and my house was quite close to the road. So I actually lost two dogs on that road, as I'm sure many people around that road have. Um, traffic went very fast and... You know, some some terrible stories, I think, of animals being lost, you know, because cars go by there and animals rush out and it just happens so fast. Um, but, you know, you as I said, you just cherish the time you have with them. And I remember I had a lovely little dog, Sam, and I had a lovely dog, Chelsea, as I'm a Chelsea fan. So I named him after the, or I named her, I should say, after the team. But, yeah, and then... I remember it was a very sad case. I had a dog called Murphy and he was only six months old and he actually was killed outside my mother's house. She was looking after him. He escaped and he was kind of, you know, flighty like that. And he was killed on New Year's Day years and years ago. And it was a terrible call to get. I remember my mother calling me. And, and at that stage, even after six months, I get very attached to dogs and, you know, I really kind of commit myself to them. And even after six months, I remember I was younger at the time and it broke my heart. You know, it's not the news you want to get on New Year's Day that your beloved puppy 
even though he was very big at this stage um has been killed you know so i remember that day having to go down and you know um put him put him you know take him and my father helped me and i had to bury him and um it's yeah it's hard you know but but these things we have to do and they're just part of life you know so i'm sure you as a listener have your own stories with dogs and I'm sure, you know, you've all had your own experiences. And for lots of people, they have had dogs in their life, whether it be working dogs or whether it be domestic dogs. And when I say working dogs, I mean, for example, in Ireland, there's lots of farmers with sheep dogs and working dogs on the farm. And, you know, all over the world, dogs have been working. And the important thing about dogs is that they are a very useful animal and they help us a lot you know, on the farms, whatever, with canines, with the police, everything. They do so many amazing jobs. They're such a wonderful animal. And they can do all of these amazing things, you know, whether it's sniffing out cancer or whether it's, you know, looking for bombs, explosives, whatever, or tracking down people or, or these, these um, you know, carnivore dogs who find people who are missing and then, you know, they're maybe buried. So dogs are just wonderful animals. And but yet at the same time, they can be in your house and they can be on your lap like a little cushion or a big cushion if it's a big dog. So they, they have such diversity. So we're going to look a little at the history of dogs. OK, so when you look back at the dog history, so it was originally believed that the first domesticated wolves appeared around 15,000 years ago in the Middle East. But however, in the last few years, new evidence suggests it was much earlier than that. So there, there was a Swedish geneticist and Pontus Goglund, if I pronounce that correctly, he published a study last year and he concluded that canine domestication may have first occurred 27,000 to 40,000 years ago. That's a long time. And they say, you know, with genetic studies that modern day dogs, domesticated dogs, originated in China, the Middle East and Eastern Europe. So scientists believe wolves were first attracted to human camps to scavenge for leftover food. Over time, some wolves started traveling with the nomadic humans and there was kind of a natural selection for domestication occurred. So a lot of, you know, women may have been the first to make these wolves a pet, according to Catherine M. Rogers, a professor of English from Brooklyn College. And she has a book in her book, First Friend. So it takes six to eight generations to domesticate a canine. Okay, that's quite interesting, isn't it? There's even scientific evidence supporting the bond between humans and dogs. When people look into each other's eyes, we bond emotionally and release a hormone called oxytocin. So a study led by Nagasawa found that when dogs and people gaze into each other's eyes, the same hormone is released in both the human and the dogs. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because when we look at our dogs, we get this feeling sometimes of, you know, calm and serenity and they can relax you. And, and especially these, you know, behavioral dogs, these um, that help people with, you know, conditions and, and who, who suffer from epilepsy and all sorts of things. So they know that there's a seizure coming and they know to protect the dog or sorry, to protect the human. So it's quite amazing, isn't it, that when we look into the dog's eyes that that hormone is released. It's just amazing. So dog breeds varied in popularity. In the 1890s, St. Bernard's were the number one breed 
But since the 1990s, Labrador retrievers have been the favorite. I, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of Labradors around now. And I've had quite a few Labradors. And the, the dog I have at the moment is a Labrador. But the one before, which was like my, you know, soulmate dog who passed away a few years ago, he was a Labrador retriever. And up until that point, I never had a Labrador retriever. It was always Labradors and stuff. Okay, so we'll talk more about uh, him later on. But let's look at some 10 amazing facts about dogs. Okay, so we know we know lots of things and we think we know things. But here is some facts you mightn't know. So a dog's sense of smell is at least 40 times better than ours. Okay, that's a lot. The area of cells in the brain that detect different smells is around 40 times lar larger in dogs than humans. This means that your dog can pick up on way more smells than we ever could. This is why dogs are often used to sniff out people, drugs, and even money. Well, you know, we always say, it's really funny, you know, you're on the couch with your dog and he farts. And you're like, oh, fuck's sake, get out, you know, smelly bastard, whatever, whatever you say. But the truth is, we have to smell their farts and it's probably bad. But imagine if they have 40 times larger than ours, their, their, their smell sense. And we fart. And ladies, you know as well as you. You know you fart too, beside your prize poodle. And what that pure, that, you know, poodle is going through when you fart and let one rip every so often. So imagine the poor dog. So next time the dog farts, let him off because he's only giving you a small dose. But imagine what you're giving him when you fart, especially after a kebab or a curry or something toxic. <laughs> um, and... In fact, a number of hero hounds were awarded PDSA medals for their noses. Arms and explosive search dog Buster was awarded his PDSA Dickon Medal in 2003 for his remarkable service in Iraq. He located a large amount of weapons and explosives linked to an extremist group, saving the lives of many civilians and service personnel. Okay. Some dogs have such good noses they can sniff out medical problems. So this is quite interesting. And obviously, when this started, it was such a revelation, especially for the medical world. So medical detection dogs are a thing because their sense of smell is so great, some dogs can be trained to sniff out medical conditions. They are used to diagnose a particular condition or to alert the owners if they need more medication. That's amazing. Some, at this stage, are even being trained to sniff out COVID-19. Well, I suppose with the current state of affairs around the world, they should have used more dogs to rather than these tests. <laughs> There's been such controversy about the testing for COVID and everything. So maybe the dogs could have done a better job. So another one of these incredible dogs uh, is medical detection dog PAL, who was awarded the PDSA Order of Merit. Pal played a vital role in diabetic owner Claire's life by alerting her of changes in her blood sugar. If it wasn't caught in time, these changes would have killed her. Okay, so that's really amazing that, you know, a dog can help somebody and help them survive, you know. Number three, dogs can sniff at the same time as breathing. Okay, so dogs rely a lot on their sense of smell to find food, potential dangers and friends. So needless to say, they sniff a lot. Their noses are designed so smells can stay in their nose while air can move in and out of their lungs at the same time, which means they can breathe freely and still work out what the smell is. Okay, 
that's crazy, isn't it? We we could do that. And well, I suppose we breathe and we're like, I smell a McDonald's or I smell a kebab. I I want that, you know. So maybe maybe we can do it too, but uh, maybe it only occurs in us when we're hungry. Some dogs are incredible swimmers. So not all dogs like water, but the ones that do tend to be pretty good swimmers. But again, not not all of them are like this. So keep an eye on your dog in case they decide to take a dip out and about. Newfoundlands, the dogs, are so good in the water that for years they've been used as water rescue dogs. In 2016, a brave Newfoundland called Whiz was awarded the PDSA Order of Merit for saving nine people from the sea over his career as a water rescue dog. Some dogs are so fast, they could even beat a cheetah. Okay, so I know in Spain here they have the greyhounds, lots of greyhounds. And uh, they call them galgos in, in Spanish. And there's loads of them here. Unfortunately, there's a big problem with, you know, dogs being abandoned. We'll talk a little more about that later. But obviously, greyhounds are very fast. So most dogs could easily outrun a human. They're built to run and chase. The fastest breed of dog by far, though, is the greyhound. These speedy sight hounds can reach a top speed of 45 miles per hour within seconds of starting to run. But how does this beat a cheetah, we hear you ask? Well, while a cheetah can get up to almost 70 miles an hour, they can only keep this going for around 30 seconds. Greyhounds, on the other hand, could easily run at speeds in excess of 35 miles an hour for 7 miles. So despite the cheetah's head start, they'd soon overtake. So you know what you have to do, lads, if you have a cheetah and you have a greyhound. Don't let them do the 200 meter sprint. You have to organize a marathon or maybe maybe a 5K even, you know. The cheetah would start off strong. He'd think he was going well. He'd be like, yeah, I got this. Don't worry about it. I'm a cheetah. You can't beat me. But then the greyhound would start to take over maybe on kilometer three or something or two. And then things would be very different. It would be a bit like the rabbit and the tortoise. So that's a very interesting fact. I never knew this, that the greyhounds would actually you know, win over a longer distance. So if anyone says to you the cheetah is the fastest animal in the world, you just say, yeah, it depends on the distance, you know. So dogs don't sweat like we do. I think we've always known this with dogs. We, we look at dogs and we're like, oh, the poor thing, it's really warm or, you know, turn the heating down because they can't, their skin doesn't breathe the same way. So while dogs do sweat, don't expect them to be getting damp armpits at any time soon. Where humans sweat watery liquid to cool down, dogs produce a pheromone-laden oily substance that us humans can't detect. Dogs know it's there because of that great sense of smell. The only place the dogs sweat like us is on their paws, so instead they pant to cool down. This is why it's so important to keep your dog cool on those warmer days to make it easier on them. And I mean, now there's lots of great products, you know, these chill cushions and everything, so... You know, there's no excuse. Keep your dog cool. Look after him on these warm days. This one I find really interesting. Your dog could be left or right pawed. So in Ireland, we say if you're left-handed, you're a kid dog. So your dog could be a kid dog, you know. There have been a few studies around this, and it turns out that just like us, dogs have a preferred hand or, well, paw to lead with. You can find out whether your dog is left or right pawed by giving them their favorite toy or interactive game not Candy Crush, and seeing which paw they use to help them first. So that's interesting. It's like, you know, when the police throw the ball at the suspect and see which arm he catches it with, and they go, ha, oh, 
maybe you can catch your dog out like this, you know, or maybe even say, give me the paw and see which paw they tend to go with first. Maybe that would give you an idea. So along with their noses, their hearing is super sensitive. So we all know dogs can hear much higher frequencies than us, but did you know they can also hear further? Generally, dogs can hear much softer sounds than we can, so they can hear things that are much further away. And I see this every night, you know, my dog is on the couch and he is, you know, barking and he's like making growling. And there's no, I can't hear anything. And I know there's probably a cat outside and here's the cat moving. And, you know, so he's hearing all of these things that I haven't a clue what's going on. So dogs can hear higher pitch sounds and can detect a frequency range of 67 to 45,000 uh, hertz compared to a human range of 64 to 23,000 hertz. Okay. Dogs can hear four times the distance of a human. So if your dog's with you and your mother's calling you for your dinner, Maybe she's been like, I've been calling you for ages. And you go, oh, that's why the dog was pulling. He could hear it down the street. I couldn't. So the dog knows when Mammy's calling, or maybe your wife, who knows. So dogs use all of these amazing senses to help them find threats, detect explosives, and discover trapped survivors. Well, you can imagine that where, you know, rescue workers would be looking for somebody, a child, a person in a building that's collapsed, and they could hear the breathing. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's quite interesting. So this is another trait that makes them great search and rescue dogs. While they will mainly use their nose for tracking, their hearing can also be a real help, especially as they get closer to whatever they're looking for. Dogs like Canine um, Killer, who was awarded the PDSA Gold Medal for helping to track down rhino poachers, are excellent at tracking using both smell and hearing. Okay. Dogs have 18 muscles controlling their ears. All right. So that's really interesting. And if you watch, you know, these dog behavior programs, say from Milan, Dog Whisper, lots of other ones, you'll see they talk about, you know, oh, if the dog's ears are forward. And sometimes, you know, because I have a lot of experience with dogs, and I'm not a dog whisperer or anything, but I, I, I have a good bond with dogs. And my wife says to me, why are you not afraid of that dog? And I always say, well, because I know, because his ears are, you know, his ears are forward or backwards. You know, they're, you can, you can tell like when their ears are in a certain position, if they're threatened in the same way we use our body language. And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people can see other traits in dogs, but one of them obviously is the ear. So if you have a dog, you might notice that their ears move around a lot. They actually have around 18 muscles responsible for moving their ears. These help them to change the direction of their ears slightly to hear noises around them. So they kind of funnel it to direct the noise. And um, it plays a really big part in telling us how our dogs are feeling. A lot of a dog's body language is expressed through what their ears are doing. So a dog's ears are vital in helping them communicate both with us and other dogs. Dogs are about as intelligent as a two-year-old. So before your two-year-old starts thinking, well, I'm the man, I'm really intelligent. It's more that the dog has the level of that child, unless the child is a genius. So studies have shown that dogs can learn over 100 words and gestures, which puts their intelligence and understanding of us on a par with a two-year-old. However, dogs are much easier to train than a two-year-old. They're used for all sorts of jobs, from military roles to assistance dogs, because they're both clever and extremely loyal animals. So that's quite interesting. That was like 10 facts about dogs. 
And, you know, it's amazing some of the things that we learn about dogs and we're still learning to this day. So thank you, scientists and investigators for finding out this thing about our furry friends. Okay, when I look at um, some things I came across, some dog tweets, and, you know, some of these are funny because it's amazing how our relationship, you know, with dogs and now it's spread all over social media. So here somebody says, hi. I spend three minutes every day choosing a TV channel to leave on for my dog. Then I go to work and people take me seriously as an adult. <laughs> so that's, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes people say, oh, I'm going to put on the radio for the dog. And you're like, why? So he won't be lonely or they leave the light on. And I'm thinking, do you think the dog cares? And you're like, yeah, I better put on classic FM or maybe he like he likes, you know, 98 FM because that's the type of music. And you're like, Maybe you're taking that a little far. So it's quite interesting. They're talking about choosing a TV channel, you know, and the dog's like, no, 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 no. I don't want, you know, soap operas. No, no, no. I don't want Virgin Media 3. I don't want any daytime shows. Oh, Juice Judy. Juice Judy's good. Leave Juice Judy out. So, I mean, come on. It's a bit crazy, but people do it. And if it makes them feel better and they can relax at work, why not? So here's another tweet. This guy got on the bus and just stared at me and Lullabelle, his dog, on my lap for a solid 30 seconds, then goes, are you allowed to have dogs on the bus? And I just shrugged, thinking he was going to give me shit or something, but then he pulls out a chihuahua out of nowhere. <laughs> that's, that's crazy, because he had this little chihuahua hidden, and he was thinking, hey, I've been hiding this little mutt here, but am I allowed to bring it on the bus? Fair play to him. The fa this is another one. The fastest land animal is me when I'm upstairs and hear my dog about to throw up in the living room. Yes, we've all been there. You know, your dog eats the dinner, wolfs it down, whatever he gets, if it's the scraps, whether you're feeding him the best food, and then all of a sudden you hear the whoop, and you're like, oh, no, 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 you're outside, 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 and you're panicking. The dog is panicking, and everyone's there, and maybe you get to the front door, and he vomits all over the carpet. Not over, like, the tiles or something that's easy to clean. It's usually over the carpet or the couch or something. And you're like, fuck's sake, come on. What are you doing? Breaking my heart. So, yeah, we have that sometimes with our dog. He has a bit of a sensitive stomach. Eh? But, you know, we, we forgive him. It's part of who he is, you know. So, here's one. My dog stole the bread from my plate and ran under the bed. While I was looking under the bed to see if he left any to be picked up, he ate the rest of my pasta. So there you go, the intelligent two-year-old coming into play. The dog was thinking, yeah, yeah, you look under there for me. I'm just going to go back to the table. I'm going to take your food. I like my Italian pasta. So what? A bit of bread, a bit of pasta? Thank you. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> so when we talk about dogs, I mean, the humor is good and... You know, you have to, to love humor with dogs and everything. One particular story I always think is funny, you know, is that my dog, Ben, who we'll talk about in a second, when, when I had Ben, you know, I had this bond with him. And my wife, I, I used to say to him, you know, I, I say bad words to him. Now, I don't curse a lot. You'll hear me curse sometimes on the show, but, you know, it's just expression. I'm Irish. Um, but... Sometimes with the dog, I would, you know, say like, oh, you're a fucking bastard. Or... Now, excuse all my cursing here. I'm only trying to illustrate a point. 
but I would say, you fucking prick. Come here, you prick. And, but it was never in anger. It was always like just joking, you know, like like the way guys say to each other, oh, you bastard, Jen. You know, it's just like colloquial kind of black humor. And um, so I would... I would be saying these things, you know, like, oh, you little bastard. I love you, you little fucker, you. And Alex, my wife, would be saying, you can't talk like this to the dog. And I'd be like, he doesn't know what I'm saying, you know. And, and she'd be like, no, he understands. I'm like, no. I said, I could probably call him the worst names. And it, it was never from a place of anger. It was always, you know, a place of love. And it was this kind of a thing. And uh, it was funny to the point. But I always think back, you know, my kind of black humor. I'm always thinking back that, you know, if, if this kind of dark thought comes into my head where I'm thinking, you know, if you did talk like that to your dog and you go into the vet and you're like, he said, oh, you know, your dog has to be put to sleep or whatever. And you're in there and you say, for example, yes, can I have a few minutes with him? I'd like to say goodbye. And the vet's outside the door and said, yes, take all the time you need. And you're inside and all he hears is, you fucking bastard, I love you. Oh, you prick, I'm going to miss you. You know, so <laughs> the thing is, the vet is like, what the hell is this guy? But this is the thing about dogs, and I always say this, it doesn't matter what, matter what you say to them. It doesn't matter. You know, of course, you don't harm them. You never hit them and stuff. But, you know, when you're, when you're around your dog and you say these things, for them, a lot of the time, it's words and they understand the words and the tone. But it's all in the inflection. They know. And so, you know, if you say, oh, you're the best dog in the world, they're like, oh, he loves me. He, oh, my God, he loves me. But if you're like, oh, you fucking bastard, I love you. And, you know, I used to find it kind of therapeutic. I think because I cursed more with my dog, I didn't curse more with other people. So maybe that was a good thing. Maybe he was like my therapist and he helped me take out the, all the expressive Irishness out of me, you know, when I'm, you know, having fun with them and playing and everything. So, you know, that's my, that was my, my fucking bastard story with my dog, you know? Okay. So I'm just going to look here now at some famous dog movies and TV shows because, you know, there's been there's so many i mean there's so many but like some of the famous ones obviously you know when we were growing up there was lassie and i always remember lassie and my sister caroline you know she's going to kill me for saying this but she used to watch lassie and she used to cry you know because lassie would always you know be in trouble or run away and you know and i, th I think in a few of the lassie movies i don't know did, did lassie die and but it was always really sad and you know and we'd be sad too but she would express herself more because she was young you know and then i always remember on tv you had the littlest hobo does anyone remember that show the littlest hobo you know he would go from town to town just keep moving on so that theme tune was really famous and it was a great show i mean it was lovely to think that a dog could go from town to town helping people it was a bit like the same premise for <laughs> highway to heaven or something but he was a dog and he was a very intelligent dog and he was a hobo so you know hobo dog i don't know and then there's been lots of others you know um more movies scooby-doo obviously it's a cartoon you know so i can't do a scooby-doo voice but we all watch scooby-doo and you know and the, the, you, you, 
Pesky Kids and so on. So we all watch that. Uh, famous movies, Lady and the Tramp, you know, Disney movie. Beethoven as well. well I didn't like that so much. There's a um, famous movie as well my wife watched with the kids actually a few years ago, Old Yeller. That's a really old movie. And uh, I won't go into the story of it, but it's, you know, it, it's one of these movies you have to watch to experience. It's old, old movie. Uh, what else has there been? Yes, there's been, you know, Turner and Hooch with Tom Hanks, 101 Dalmatians. Uh, Benji, I'm not sure. I can't remember was Benji a TV show or I think it was a TV show. It wasn't a movie. I think so. Um, the, and then recently, you know, you've had The Call of the Wild, which was a great movie um, with, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't think of the actor. Um, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, and then we had Togo. Togo was a great movie as well. Um, similar kind of story as well. And and then, of course, Marley and Me, you know. And I think for a lot of people watching Marley and Me, um, you know, whether you like the actors or not, I'm not a huge Owen Wilson fan or Jennifer Aniston, she's okay. But, but I mean, the story is great and it's very sad, you know, and it kind of, you know, when you're sitting on the couch there for these sad movies about dogs and them passing away or dying, you know, you're like, oh, it's not me crying, you're crying. You know, it's kind of like, you're slowly there's a little tear coming down and you're like, Oh, something in my eye, you know, I think it's a I think it's a Labrador. You know, there's something making me cry. So the thing about it is these famous movies are great and some of them are sadder than other ones, you know. So I'm sure you have a favorite um movie, maybe it's T V show, Scooby Doo, who knows? But uh, I, I don't know what my one is. I think I really like that movie Togo. I think I like that one. Um so, you know. If you you can leave comments after the show and tell us what movies maybe you liked, you know. And then, you know, when you look at dog songs, one of my favorite dog songs is Cat, Cat Stevens. You know, I love my dog as much as I love you. That song. It's a wonderful song, you know. Um, there's lots of other, you know, um, uh, songs about dogs. And so, I mean, the thing about it is maybe you know, and, or, or maybe you know songs and you're like, I didn't know that was about a dog. Do you understand? So that's what's quite interesting. There's been lots of them. I'm going to look, I'm looking here. So let me see. Let me see. I'm going to find some um, Procol Harum. Every dog would have his day. Neil Young, Old King, that was with a dog. Um Harry Nielsen, they're all songs, the puppy song. John Hyatt, great kind of bluegrass and Cajun singer, My Dog and Me. Uh, Dolly Parton, Cracker Jack, okay. Oh, yes, and of course, there's Me and You and a Dog Named Boo, this song. So by, and that was a band called Lobo. Uh, okay, what else? Let me see. Jethro Thull had a song called Rover. The Monkeys, Gonna Buy Me Dog. Uh, Johnny Cash had a song, Dirty Old Egg Sucking Dog. I, I'm not sure if I know that song. Tom Waits, Rain Dogs, we know that one. Um, Elvis Presley, Old Shape and the Dog's Life. Uh, let me see. Edda James, Watchdog. Oh, and of course, uh, Patty Page. How much is that dog in the window? So we all know that song. I mean, we all heard that song growing up. And, you know, your mother probably sang it to you when you were in the pot. So very famous um, song. Uh, let me see that one there. Uh, Nick Drake. Da, da, da. Uh, 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 what else? Yeah, Led Zeppelin. Branyar Stump. I think that's how you pronounce it here. Branyar Stump. Yeah, so that's actually about a dog as well. Um, let me see. 
What else? There's loads. The Stooges. I want to be your dog. Yeah, of course we know that one. Yeah, Nazareth, hair of the dog, which is <laughs> a different meaning. But yeah, they're kind of dog songs too, I think. And uh, they're Cat Stevens, I love my dog. Um, Snoopy versus the Red Barn. Bahamut, who let the dogs out? Very famous. Snoop Dogg, doggy dog world. Snoop Dogg has had lots of references to dogs. Um, the Beatles, yes, actually, that song, Martha, My Dear, was about dogs. And, and I think I'm a Beatles fan, but I'm not a huge Beatles fan. So it says only real fans knew that Martha was the name of his sheepdog. So that's quite interesting. Um, uh, and then, of course, a very, very famous song, You Ain't Nothing But Hound Dog. So originally by Big Mama Thornton, it was released then by Elvis Presley and it became a very, very famous song. So that's quite interesting. Lots of songs about dogs and you might not even know they're about dogs. So that's quite the thing. So here's the other question. Cats versus dogs. Some people are cat people. Some people are dog people. So that's the thing. I am not really a cat person. I mean, I like cats. I think if you I think if you get a cat at a young age, you can kind of train them to be more I won't say loving, but more in tune with you. But I think sometimes when you get an older cat, they're too independent and you know, um they will you know, they just they want to do their own thing. And I always say, you know, my mother would say, Oh, my cat and I'd say, You know that when that cat goes to the neighbor's house, it's her cat. So she's probably saying to you, my cat's missing. And you're saying, my cat's missing too. But it's the same cat. <laughs> Cats just do what they want. I mean, they're like, yeah, I go over there, please. Dogs are a little more loyal, I think. Probably some people will disagree with me and everything. But I think, yeah, I'm a dog person. I would have to choose dogs over cats, you know. So we're going to get look talk about something now that's a bit sad. And I'm sorry for if it makes you sad or brings back memories for you. We're going to look now at losing your pet, you know, like, which is a big part I said, and I explained some of my experiences before. And the thing is, I'll, I'll tell you about my experience with my dog, Ben, which was one of my hardest ever experiences. So I got Ben, I think in 2007, and my sister, Sharon, got his sister and... Um, they called her Ali. So Ben just became part of my world and he was such a lovely dog and, and I had such a connection with him. And for me, he was my world, you know. And then obviously the birth of my children happened and Ben was there and I met my wife and it's just so many things happened. And um, he was there for everything, you know. And And I always think when you're growing up, you have dogs, you know, you have dogs throughout your life. But much like in that film, Marley and Me, you know, the the guy does his thing. He's living his life, doing his jobs, and then he meets someone and then he has a family. I think for a lot of people, that dog is so important because that dog is the one that you go through everything with. You know, if you fight with your partner or whatever, you know, you're telling the dog, you're kind of, you know, What's wrong with her? Why doesn't she like me? And so on. The dog just looks at you and goes, it's going to be okay, buddy. You know? So that's the thing. Those dogs. So Ben, for me, was, you know, I think when I look back, one of my, you know, definitely my favorite dog. I've had lots of beautiful dogs over the years. 
but Ben was the one and, and he was with me for 12 years and he, I think it's two years ago now, he, uh, 33 years ago now, he passed away and it was one of those things where, you know, I remember when I got him and he had problems with his hips and I brought him to the vet in Chum. I was living in Chum in County Galway at the time and the vet said, oh, he's probably not going to have a very long life because he has hip dysplasia which a lot of Labrador retrievers do and, you know, uh, German Shepherds as well. So I was like, okay. And he said, you know, when the time comes as well, you could get operations, but it's like a thousand euros per side, per hip, you know, and that's going to be very costly. So he's kind of like, so prepare for that. But then I remember at the time somebody told me, well, he's a hunting dog. So in America, these hunters use this, you know, special special vitamin C, 1,000 milligrams. So maybe give that to him. So I started giving that to him, you know, and it wasn't very expensive. And I got it in the health shop and I started uh, giving it to the dog. And and when I brought him in a few months later, the vet said to me, wow, he said his hips are so much stronger and everything. So I think what had happened was the, the fibrous tissue around the hip had kind of grown stronger and actually was strengthening the part of the hip, which was slipping out. So he was fine. I mean, he would have his issues. He never, his, his hips never ever come out again. So they healed themselves very well. Whether it was the the vitamin C, the 1000 milligram, I don't know, but something really changed and he was always fine. And he had his own way, like when he would, when he would, you know, go to the toilet, like when he take a crap, he would literally hold himself on his two front paws and kind of keep his legs off the ground, his back legs. So he didn't have to put pressure on his ass you know or his hips rather and it was really quite interesting because he was like around 35 40 kilos so he's quite big you know to hold that so he he learned that method to do it and of course you know the the, the method some dogs use where they they will um you know they will shit on the bush <laughs> excuse me they will they will they won't on the ground they'll kind of back up to a bush and do it on the bush and you're like what's this about you know, um, and he used to do that sometimes. But I remember then, obviously, with Ben, I, when I came to Spain in 2013, um, I didn't bring Ben because at the time I wanted to get set up. I, and we had a, at the time we had another beautiful dog and her name was Diablo. And she was kind of a mix of like a Dalmatian sheepdog, very strange dog, but very beautiful and a different temperament to Ben. But the two of them got on really well. But Unfortunately, we said, okay, we can bring one dog to Spain, but we can't bring two. So my niece, Katie, um, she she said she'd take Diablo off her hands. And it was sad leaving her, but she had a great life with Katie. And she actually passed away a few years ago now as well. And she had a great life as well. And um, so thank you again, Katie, for taking her and looking after her. Um, so with Ben, he was in Ireland and he was in my mother's. And he would sit outside the door. And my mother said he was always waiting for you to come back. And I remember six months after I moved to Spain, I went back to Ireland to get him. And I had, it was like a long and detailed trip because I had to go to Frankfurt and everything. But I remember um, going into the house and my mother said, look, he's outside the door. He's waiting. He can hear your voice. And he was outside waiting for me. And my, my mother kind of said to me, he... He settled with her dogs and everything, but he never said he was always kind of, it's like he knew, 
you know, they will come back to me. They won't leave me. And he was pining. And I, and I could feel that because I missed him so much as well. And I, I think I was very busy, you know, moving to a new country and with my children and everything. But I missed him so much because he, he was such a big part of my life. So I brought him. I brought him uh, to Spain in a cargo crate and everything and uh, had to give him had to give him like vanilla sedative to calm him on the plane. But he still barked all the flight. I could. It was so funny. I was on the plane and I could people like, who's the dog barking down below? And I was like, well, I don't know. Not mine. <laughs> but it was mine. And it was dear old Ben. So. Ben came to Spain and then he had a great life here because the weather was very nice and that probably helped him live a little bit longer. So, you know, eventually after when he passed and he was 12 years old, I always thought, wow, the vet said he might only live to five. So he got more than double his life, you know, which was great, life expectancy. So then obviously Ben got thicker and, you know, we knew the days were coming and everything. And um, he... One day we took him to the snow and we took him up to the mountain and uh, he loved going, he loved going for car trips and everything, but he didn't want to get out of the car and I kind of knew this is the day. I, I said to myself, this is it. This is the day, you know, the day you've been dreading. And, you know, he didn't get out and I lifted him out and I put him on the snow and he didn't really want to move. And, you know, at that stage he had some tumours, but they were actually, they were actually, we found out in the end after he went, they were benign, but it would have been so much hassle to cut them out and they were bleeding all the time. So the vet said to us, the truth is, he said, when he goes, he'll have a very peaceful death because, you know, they call this when the, when the tumors are bleeding inside the body, it's like a sweet death because, it, you know, it's it just happens and they're not in pain. So that later that evening, that was a Sunday we brought him and later that evening he starts going and, yeah, I just remember holding him. And it was like, it was, you know, you know he was leaving and you felt better because he was leaving for him because you didn't want him to be in pain. But it's so hard. And, you know, even now talking about it, it still breaks my heart. And because he was like everything to me, you know. And it's like two or three years ago and it's still very raw for me sometimes, you know. But he... Yeah, just, you know, you could feel him and I had my hand in his heart and I could feel him going and, you know, he went and I was so glad I didn't have to ring him to the vet and, um, like, you know, give him the injection, which a lot of people do and I know it's a peaceful way to go, but I was, you know, glad he died in his house with people around him and it was, you know, it was very sad for my kids and everything and, but, you know, it's, as I said, it's something you go through and, um, yeah, it was just a, a terrible moment for me, but, you know, I knew it had to happen. I think what it was, he was so special in my life and he helped me get through so many kind of whatever issues I had, you know, that would come up. I never had much issues, but, you know, things in your life with family and everything, you know, he was there for everything. And, and um, they always say, you know, people don't realize how much dogs help people and how much they heal your heart. And how much dogs, you know, show you who you really are. And for me, he showed me who I really was. And he showed me who I could be just by his unconditional love. And just by who he was as an animal. And, you know, you always think, oh, my dog is so human. And he has these human traits. And he, you know, could feel your 
love and feel your problems and he's there for you and you know and he was like that for me and i just you know i loved everything about him and um it you know it's it took me so long to get over it and i'm still not over it when i think about it and talk about it sometimes but and you know you'll always have people saying oh that's uh that's stupid you know it's only a dog or it's only this and you've heard people saying oh i can't come to work because of this and people say why it's a dog but you know we have to place more emphasis on how much dogs do for us and how much they fill gaps and you know i always feel for older people who have a dog and the dog goes and they're they're so alone and maybe they don't have the means or capability to get another dog so i i think you know dog is man's best friend woman's best friend child's best friend everybody's best friend because they do so much for us and they ask for nothing in return only just that you love them and that you look after them and respect them and you know it's uh it's hard it's really hard when your dog goes and um the thing about it is it's there with our, in our lives for a short while some people are there for 10 some dogs are with people for 10 years some for 12 14 whatever you know but the thing about it is they they're there for you and they're there to help you and you know we have therapy dogs behavioral dogs and they help people so much you know so while i'm talking about the subject we have a special guest on um her name is julie rose and julie is from weymouth in the uk and julie recently lost her dog uh fleece and fleece um you know he was a, a kind of a border collie sheep dog type and I, you know, I saw, I know Julie through family and stuff, and um, I saw her recent posts, and I was very touched by it, you know, her last moments with the dog, she kind of showed it on Facebook, and I thought, okay, I have to, you know, I'm going to be talking about this subject, I have to bring Julie on and let her tell a story. So, we're going to talk to Julie now, and we're going to hear what she has to say, and let her tell a story about her and Fleet's life together. Hello, Julie, how are you? Hello, I'm good, how are you? Very good, Julie. So... Julie, are you? Where are you at the moment? Where are you living? So I live in Weymouth, Dorset, south coast of England. <laughs> right. It has a uh, Weymouth is very nice. And um, so, Julie, recently you lost your beloved dog Fleece, and you know, um, I was telling Julie earlier there. I saw some of her posts on Facebook, you know, and I I couldn't help but think, you know, this was a a sad situation. You know, we all go through it, and I've had this experience in my past, and. Everybody who's had dogs and loved dogs has had this experience. So, so for you, Julie, tell us a bit about your life with Fleet and what he meant to you. Yeah, so um, before I lived in Weymouth, I lived in, in Wales and we moved back to Weymouth. Um, and I wanted to work with animals. I wanted to work with dogs and I got a job at a dog rescue centre. And it was my first day and this dog comes in as a stray and I fell in love with him instantly. And I just thought, you know what, this is going to be part of the job. I'm going to fall in love with dogs that come in and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, but I did go home anyway. And I said to my dad, because I was only 19 at the time, I said, oh, you know, I've really fallen for this dog. And um, he said, you're not having another bloody dog. <laughs> and we, we already had three at the time. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I absolutely adored him. He, he didn't cope well in kennels. Um, being a border collie, he was, um, you know, obviously wanted a job to do. And so he was very stressed in kennels. Um, and then these people came along to adopt him. And I just knew instantly they weren't the people for him. Um, but there was nothing I could do about it. I had to let him go. 
I wasn't the manager or anything like that. So I was heartbroken. I was I was couldn't believe that he you know came in as a stray and then these people took him, and and that was that. But within a month, the, the owners actually brought him back because um, they couldn't cope with him. They said he was chewing the sofa and they were walking him four hours a day and they just could not give him what he needed. So then basically it just put off other adopters because nobody wants a dog coming in, destroying their house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, luckily at the time we were um, renovating, we moved into a place that needed a lot of work. So I said to my colleagues, you know what, I'll take him home because I don't believe that he chews. And um, I took him home one night and uh, accidentally on purpose <laughs> and he, he never left. We all fell in love with him. He was good as gold. He was really good on the lead. He was, you know, good, got on with all the other dogs. And um, yeah, he became mine. Wow. And he, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good because sometimes with dogs they are not suited to a particular home or a particular person and you know people can say oh we had that dog but we had small children he's too energetic and the great thing is that there is somebody out there but it's hard to find them and it's hard to match dogs to people sometimes isn't it yes absolutely it has to fit in with your lifestyle and if you've got children and your work schedule and everything like that so he was perfect for me because i could take him to work and um, walk him at work so you know he was always active and we would go to dog training classes every night of the week he was my world he was my my little child and <laughs> my little fur baby yes yeah and, and this is the, the dogs become an integral part of our life then because you know they they bring something it's like an unspoken kind of a love isn't it because you know with kids and everything they can express more but Dogs do it a different way and we learn to read those signs and we learn this unconditional love because the way I, I've always felt about dogs, you know, you could be in the worst mood, you can be grumpy with your dog, you can be whatever, but they don't care because they're thinking, I'm only here for you. I love you and you, you've given me that respect and you're looking after me. Um, so it is totally unconditional, isn't it, the love? Absolutely, yeah. They, I could never, ever be without a dog and... Even people that I know that were never dog people and then they get a dog and they said, I can't believe you could have so much love for an animal. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it is because they all they like want from you is food, exercise and love and, you know, warmth and, and that's it. And they're just happy. Yeah. And for you, then your life would fleece. I mean, you were you were doing agility. It was a very busy life with him. You kept him active and you found things for him to do, didn't you? Yes, oh, we did everything. So because he was so busy, but he'd always get bored as well. So we did, um, you know, obedience, got to the top level of obedience, and then he got bored of that. So then I tried heel work to music, and he, he just didn't take to that at all. And then we went to agility, and I just wasn't too, I was too slow for him going around the agility course, and he would turn around and, and bite me and bite the jumps off the, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I, actually, I was doing a, a show. I was at a store with, with the rescue, and um, we were at a show, and I saw something called Flyball, which I've never seen before. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! This is—I think he's going to be really good at this." Um, and it was the, the nearest one at that time was an hour and a half away from where I lived, so it was a three-hour round trip on a Monday evening. And um, but he took to it. He had four sessions, and then he was put into competition straight away. And we competed then at Flyball for for ten years. Then we travelled to Belgium and all around the UK and 
he was amazing. He was absolutely. He was born to do fly ball. Ex- that was his thing. Explain fly ball to us. Um, what is it? Is it like a ball that's thrown, or what is it? So you basically have a team of four dogs, and you race another team of four dogs, and they have to jump four hurdles and there's a box at the end which the dog has to trigger to release the tennis ball ah. and they grab the tennis ball and run back so a bit like a relay race so you're racing four other dogs so yeah he, he was really fast at that um and it's a, it's a really growing sport now really growing and when did you notice a change like when he passed and how old was he he was uh, just off uh, nearly 18 wow so he had he had a great life, I mean, and a long life, no? Yes, really good life. Yes, really good life. So after, when he was about 10, he um, he was diagnosed with a misshaped vertebrae in his back. Apparently, he was born with it, um, but only caused him problems in later life because when you get older, you lose muscle. And, um, yeah, so then he obviously had to retire him from flyball, and we, our lives then changed to acupuncture, hydrotherapy, physio, and we did that for the next seven to eight years. Wow. So so you really, like, went for all tor- uh, forms of therapy to make his life easier and to, to, to heal those ailments, didn't you? Absolutely, because he gave me 10 years of, of happiness, and the least I could do is give him back you know, something to make him comfortable for the rest of his older years. And, um, he, you know, he could still chase a ball and, you know, he was still fun. And his mind was always there. His energy was always there. It's just his body was just tired. <laughs> so when you, you know, were looking at him and, and you know, you his condition obviously got worse then and everything, you know, that's the hardest thing to do because so many people are very stubborn and they don't want to let go and they're hanging on to the very end. And, you know, I, I mean, I know with my own dog, he died in my arms at home and uh, he was with, with us for 12 years. And I always think he was like a child, you know, he was like my baby. And but and, and it actually I always think when he died, it hit me harder than if I one of my family had died, like one of my brothers or sisters, because he, we were so close and we had this bond. But the thing is like that. I was lucky in the sense that he died at home. I didn't have to bring him, you know. Um, but it's a very hard thing to do, isn't it, to bring the animal to the vet, even though the vets are extraordinary. It's a very hard process, and, and it's um, you have to really, like, I don't want to say you be in the right mindset because there is no mindset, but, you know, to do it and then the after effects, it's very traumatic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a very hard decision to make because... With lots of people, the decision is taken away from them very, you know, quickly. Whereas with Flea, it, it, it was something I had to make the decision. Um, and I remember a vet telling me years ago, when a dog can't do the basics that dogs do, which is go out, go toilet, you know, yeah. have a sniff around, then you know that it's time. And he got to the point where I would have to hold him up to go to the toilet okay. because he would fall over. Yeah. Um, and he was very unstable. And the, and the vet said to me that um, his mobility he had kidney failure as well, but that was really good. Um, but the vet said his mobility will go before his kidneys. And it, it was exhausting, actually, because it was like uh, it was kind of like living with a, a grandparent with dementia yeah, and yeah. fall over in the night yeah. <laughs> and you know, it all through the night. And it, it was hard on all of us. Um, so I just thought, you know, his quality of life, you know, it, it, it's. It, I, you know, I was too scared to go out in case he fell over yeah. and I wasn't there to pick up, you know. Yeah. So, uh, 
and a lot of my friends said, you know, I would have done it sooner, but, you know, at least he didn't suffer. I feel like if I left it any longer, it would have got to the point where, you know, I wouldn't have been able to say goodbye. I wouldn't have been able to take him on his last favourite walks. I wouldn't have been able to collect his fur and do all the thing, lovely things I wanted to do before he passed. So I find a lot of comfort in that. Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I like, obviously, I saw in your video your last beach walk together, which was lovely, you know, and and it it's a very hard moment isn't it because like when we say goodbye to anybody whether it's a person or a dog or any type of animal you have these stages don't you like where you say you know we're going to do this last thing he loved doing this uh, i'm going to bring him to his favorite place last meal everything i mean it's all these stages and processes are very difficult but it gives you a little bit of closure that you did them then doesn't it yeah absolutely it i think he even though he was probably the, the dog that I had the strongest bond with, um, it was kind of the easiest when he went. It was because I could do everything I wanted to do with him. It was kind of lovely and I found peace in that. Um, whereas a lot of my dogs, I never had that, you know, never had the opportunity to make their last days count and, um, you know, have the time to pick their, you know, their nice urn and all those kind of things, you know. Yes. So, yeah, it was nice to prepare for it nice to and that it's been it's been what three weeks now is about three weeks yes yes yeah, so he was put to sleep on the 13th of uh january yeah. so how how has it been for you i mean because there is like people kind of don't really like to acknowledge this in in the mainstream media and and for example you know you will see celebrities talking about their pets dying but it's a much deeper thing. And, and I've heard horrible stories, you know, where someone says, I can't go to work today because my dog died. And the people are like, your dog died. You know, they're kind of like making light of it. And I know when my dog died, I the job I was doing, I took a few days off because I was in front of people all day talking to them, teaching. And I thought, I can't do it. I'm just not me. I, I, I can't. There's no way I can do it. So I had to take that personal time because. It was like, you know, someone ripped out my heart and said bye-bye, you know. So it's a, it's a thing that we don't acknowledge enough and there's not enough respect giving to the grieving process for losing an animal. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so that was another good thing because obviously I, I planned it. Um, I knew the time was right. Then I made sure I had a few days. I, I booked to go away actually the day after um, of his passing to make sure I was kept busy. So, you know, I had something to look forward to. I wasn't going to be sit, sitting at home and upset and feeling bad. I, you know, went on a little adventure, little just a weekend away really. Um, and I think that helps. I think that really helped. Um, so that's why I feel quite fortunate. The circumstances that I said goodbye to Pete, I think it was one of the best. Whereas, you know, I've woken up one day and one of my dogs died and that was awful. And yeah. like you, I had to call in, not go to work for a few days. Um, and unless you have dogs, you just don't understand that they are part of the family and it is like losing a person. Yes, yes. And for you, you know, obviously when you came back from the trip and everything, you know, you come back to the house and, and, and it, it feels like for me, anyway, the house always, you know, it feels empty and you, you're you're missing an integral part of that kind of uh, environment and that ambience. So was it difficult when you came back and you had to kind of get back into normal life then? It was difficult. Um, so I've got another dog as well. And although they were never close, um, my dog, my poodle that I've got, he's really pining for fleet and he, I can't go anywhere without him. Okay. He's, he's 
howling. Um, so actually, that's kind of good for me too, because at least I'm focusing all my energy on my other dog now. So, um, yeah, it, I think it's harder for people if they've just got one dog and then that one dog goes, you know, it's it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at least I'm not, you know, at least I've got another dog keeping yeah. me busy yeah. and I could like, work with dogs. So, yeah, and it, it's not, it's okay. The thing is with, with the other dog, even though, as you said there, you don't feel like they always got on or they were, you know, kindred spirits with each other. The thing is that it's just even the other dog's presence and that, you know, like when you're gone and the two of them were together, they were there for each other. Um, so, of course, he misses his presence around the house and he probably was a bit lonely. Um, so, you know, I see then obviously you've got some lovely messages from people and, you know, people, I saw your lovely statue of the little kind of angel with fleece on it and, the, you know, the, the things like that. So, I mean, it, people have been great as well with their responses, no? Yeah, they've been amazing. Like, complete stranger just made me this angel and painted fleet on the front of it, and it's just really lovely. Um, and then lots of them have given me ideas of I can get his ashes put in a ring, or I can get his hair put in a little necklace, and it's just things like that I find really comforting. Yes. And I think any dog would, would as well. Yeah, no, that's really nice because you can see it then, and I suppose now through social media and the web, you know, people can share their stories and say, you know, you're not alone in these um, kind of instances because like that in the past, there was that kind of a thing where you lost an animal and people were a little embarrassed to kind of feel like they were grieving so much in front of other people because it's been one of those things we've had to hide it nearly because it's kind of like it's only an animal. Why are you so... But now people can show their true kind of feelings and say, look, you know, you'll have to give me some time because this has really affected me. Um, I remember growing up through the years and, you know, my mother and losing lots of dogs. And, you, you know, life is like that. It's a journey and our dogs are only with us for part of the way. And you have stronger bonds with some than others, but they always leave a mark. But sometimes in the past, you know, people lose dogs and they can't express how they actually feel. So like there, there wasn't a process of grieving or, you know, uh, of showing your true emotions. But now I think it's easier to do that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think there's lots of things online, <clears throat> lots of comforting poems. And there's I think there's even a helpline, for, for, you know, if you grieve in a, a pet, that you can phone up someone and they can talk to you. And there's a lot more compassion about losing a pet nowadays. Um, but I just had to keep my perspective you know I have to think you know god I'm so grateful that I had him for so long he had such a great life whereas some people aren't as fortunate so I have to remind myself of that you know yeah and and it's one of those things I always think you know at least if you have other people around you or another dog but I always feel really sorry for some older person who has a cat or a dog they live with and they lose that because maybe it's not that easy for them to replace the animal after a month or so you know so it's it, it's it's like cutting half of their world away. So at least it, yeah. we can be very thankful we have loved ones and friends and family around you. But for people who are very lonely or on their own, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And the vet even said the hardest ones is going into a, an elderly person's home and putting their dog to sleep because they've had they've got nothing else. That's their world. That's their reason for getting up in the morning. That's the reason for going out. And they have no one else. And that must be 
oh, it must be soul destroying. You know, it's really difficult. And those are the people that I really feel for, because like you say, because of their age, they might, it might not be easy for them to go out and get another pet or they haven't got the, you know, they're, you know, too old to do it all, to do it all over again, basically. And, um, you know, it can be, you know, devastating. Yes. So, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, make it all, you know, like a, a, a sad part of us thing. Tell us something, you know, one of your happy memories about Fleet, like something that you will always remember and cherish about him. He just... Oh, he just loved flyball so much that he um, would, if I had went to a competition, he actually chewed my seatbelts and uh, chewed my car to get to the flyball really? ring. <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he just loved it so much. He would absolutely go ballistic outside the ring. He'd be jumping up and down and barking and he just got so excited. So in the end, I had to actually buy a van with custom-built dog crates in the back so he could stay in there with the doors open, see it all going on and not causing any damage. Wow. But um, yeah, he's just such a live wire. He, still, he really he, was. He, he was like an actor who still wanted to act, but you had to bring him to the movies just to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And, and, you know, now I suppose the question probably a lot of people will ask you, you know, Will you wait for another dog to come into your life or, you know, further down the road? Will you actually look for someone to, you know, not replace them, but come in, you know? Uh, That's a really good question. Um, At the moment, no, Um, because I think a part of me would always compare, especially if it's uh, another collie. Uh, So I don't feel ready at all to to do that again. Um, And I just want to enjoy the dog that I do have at the moment. Um, but who knows? Who knows? You know, time is a healer. Um, who knows? You know what, what what will happen in the future? But no, at the moment, it, it's it's too too raw and um, yeah, 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 no. Okay, well, listen. I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I wanted to get your perspective and obviously hear your story and share it with the listeners. And 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 you know, there 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 so many people will understand exactly where you're coming from. You know, and and empathize with you because we've all been through it. And it's great, uh, you know, I, I have to commend you for showing it, showing this, us the face of that process as well, because, you know, it's it's kind it is a process. It's not just something that happens one day, you know, whether if it happens suddenly, there's still a process afterwards, you know. But it was great that you got a chance to prepare a little bit, plan things, plan your own grieving process. And, you know, that's that's uh, that's very wise and very um you know, uh, a very kind of, uh, I suppose, it's a great thing to do to help yourself in the future, no? Definitely. Absolutely. Planning, you know, if, if everyone could plan. I mean, I think the worst was the few, few days up to the planning. But once it happened, you know, because you know it's going to happen, it made it that did actually make it easier. Um, and he wasn't suffering. He wasn't in pain. And it was just nice to, to let him go that way. OK, perfect, Julie. Thanks very much for coming on. And... We, we wish you the best with everything. And uh, this is in remembrance of Fleet. We're going to dedicate this podcast episode to Fleet because he was such a special dog for you. And everybody has a special dog. So, you know, we, we're glad that he gave you so, so much happiness for all of his life. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And we'll talk to you again soon. Take care, Julie. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay. Thank you very much, Julie. That was really interesting. And uh, thank you for telling us your story. 
And, uh, you know, it, it was nice to hear your happy moments with Fleet and things that made him happy and made you happy together with him. That was just amazing. And, of course, there are sad moments too. But as we said before, they're part of life. And what can we do? We just, you know, have to get on with our life and get through it. And so we, we thank you again for coming on. Okay, so <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit more and try and get away from the sad part of having dogs and everything and you know there's always another dog that's the beautiful thing isn't it when you have a, a great connection with a dog there's always a dog and you know we were very lucky that a month after our beloved dog ben died we actually found or i should say he found us a rescue dog and that was in nurka in in uh, near malaga and it was like actually a month later and we we went on a weekend to get away, you know, because we just felt the house was a bit empty. And we said, let's go for a weekend to Nurka. And we were there in this small place called Marrow. And um, there's lovely caves in Nurka and we were near there. And all of a sudden this dog just came around and he wouldn't leave our side. And he kept following us and the locals were laughing saying, it's your dog now, it's your dog. And we were like, no. So he stayed with us for two or three days. And then we checked to see was he chipped. He wasn't. And there was a protector, of, you know, animal protector. And she said, you could take him. So we took him home to Madrid. And he's been with us now for the last few years. And, you know, he's beautiful. He's a lovely dog. and Makes the kids so happy and everything. So, you know, it's great because you have sad moments. But then there's, as I said, there's another dog that can come in and fill that void. And as Julie said there, you know, you'll always have to have a dog in your life once you have one. Everybody goes, oh, you know, I'm not going to have another dog again. It's too sad. I'm not going to do it. But, you know, then you need a, a puppy or someone and you just love them. And, and, you know, what can you do? You know, so we're going to gonna wrap up talking about the dogs. And, you know, we hope that you have a really, you know, great dog at home. And we, you know, we encourage you to, to remember the brilliant dogs that you did have in the past as you grew up that, that shaped your life, that made you who you are. And, you know, and it's okay to cry over your dog and, you know, it's okay to, to, you know, miss them and everything. They're like people, you know, and, you know, so what can we do? We just have to love them and let them love us back, you know. And before I go, just to lighten the humor, I'm going to tell you a dog joke. So here we go. To prove that a dog is truly man's best friend, a husband takes his wife and his dog and locks them both inside the trunk of his car for 30 minutes. When he returns and releases the trunk, guess who is still happy to see him? There you go, guys. That's dogs. They're always happy to see us. So, thank you for being with us on the show today. It's been my pleasure to have you here, and I hope you found the show interesting, and I hope we taught you some things about dogs and you know, there's always some stuff to learn, isn't there, in life? So take care of yourself and your family and your dog and all your animals and respect them and love them. And until we speak again, thank you for coming on the show. My name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper Podcast. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.